St. Louis in the house. Well, I'm in down in Louisiana now. Oh, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Oh, you remember from the show, huh? We, that's why you remember Brother Vieki. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he, every weekend, every weekend. Yeah, yeah. He hit, he, he hit us. He hit us up. He one of your... Uh, you one of your long timers. Yeah, 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 yeah. You gonna, but I'm gonna go ahead and get this thing started. I got a, probably about three or two people I know are gonna be late, and one person I hadn't heard from. So we're gonna go ahead and get this started. So I know it was a long weekend, but I had an opportunity to get this brother Terry Simmons on, um, special guest. And he's so busy he can only be available during the holiday weekend. So that's how I go. Well, <laughs> oh, I don't do that. <laughs> you know, I you know I always clear the calendar for uh for Montoya. Uh, that's all good, man. And so, um, but yeah, we definitely lost a few people to the weekend, but I am recording this one. Y'all know normally, um, just a heads up, you know, normally I don't record these, unless, and this is a topic that easily can be recorded, should be recorded. So I'll end up having to send it to some of the other members um, after today. Uh, but glad to have y'all that are able to be on. I got to know another sister that's definitely come on and two people are going to come on at probably around 8.30. But we'll go ahead and get started with the dialogue. Um, but as always, I'll only, in a sense, introduce our new people, if you will. And if we have any time at the end, um, we'll allow those, the rest of you to kind of say who you are at the end of it. And that's, again, that's just to save time. So that this hour and a half, because we always do these for an hour and a half, no longer, never any longer than that. And so just to make sure we're getting to the gist of the information, we don't waste time with introductions. Um, as I mentioned, Terry is, in a sense, our special guest tonight. Um, but William is also serving as a lead on this tonight's discussion, um, building and developing assets. Then I invited Brother Pianchi. Uh, I'm pretty sure my, all y'all probably know Brother Pianchi because y'all listen to the show. And so this brother is really my number one caller uh, to the show, always adds value. Terry, you may remember Brother Pianchi on one of our business shows that one of one of the ones that you really love that you were one of our guests on and brother Pierre called in and really gave that rundown all the way down to payroll taxes, how to pay him by the quarter. And on the show, you was like that. He just gave you the whole rundown right there. So that's, yeah, who, I, yeah I absolutely. I remember it. Yep. Definitely. So that's who this brother right here is. So I'm just really, brother Pianchi is really just um, basically uh, retired from being a, um, from a little bit out. He always tells me, uh, former co um, commercial construction builder, but he just has a lot of knowledge, and I knew he would have some knowledge in this area. So I just wanted to get let him add his three cents to our discussion tonight, which again is building and developing assets. Um, but brother Pianchi, if there's anything else you would like to share real quick with the uh, group, because again, I just kind of invited you in for your insight and wisdom. I'm not, you know, not looking to take up too much of your time, but we do these for about an hour and a half. I think I told you that already. But anything you would like to say, brother, I would love for you to say it real quick, and then I'll let Terry give his background and we'll get started. Well, it's always good to listen to young people who's ambitious and <laughs> inspiring and, and more importantly, asking questions. Uh, once they decide what it is that they would like to do, especially if you are unfamiliar with it. And then you have to ask questions from those who are in order to avoid having troubles. No, I love it. So again, he's our wisdom piece this, this evening. If, if y'all like him, I might bring him back. If he got, if he like it, I might bring him back. Um, but with that said, um, Terry's again, I knew it, a new face. Again, I invited him in as our special guest on this conversation. Um, as we, as Terry, I'll say this for Terry just before we start. He's not he as he told me he's not an expert in this area or whatever. But there's a part that um, I would want to dialogue about, and it's the idea of secession for your businesses. And now, um, and it's just because of what he does. Um, a lot of times, you can never 
your business can never have any succession if it was never structured right from the beginning. And in my opinion, that's one of the things that Terry specializes in is organization development. But I'll let him tell a little more about himself. And again, he's just going to be a, a great add to this discussion. But go ahead, Terry. Yeah, Montoya, as always, thank you for the invitation. Um, I always appreciate you pulling these forums together. I tell you all the time, I think it's extremely important for our community. And, uh, you know, your broader audience, you know, like you explained to me, there's some topics that are more or less appropriate for the broader audience versus a, a intimate group like this. So I just appreciate being, uh, you know, in that number. Uh, but just a really, really quickly uh, on my organization, uh, Simmons and Company is an organizational design, brand development, and workforce development uh, firm. So we have two parallel paths, uh, two distinct sides of the house, so to speak. Uh, on the small to medium-sized business uh, side of the house, what we do is pretty comprehensive. Uh, we work with organizations of all sizes, uh, from startups to companies that are in kind of the growth stage of their development, and then, you know, companies that are poised to scale. Um, it spans all industries pretty much. Uh, I don't know that there's really any industry that we haven't worked in. Um, and most of our small to medium-sized business clients, quite honestly, are, are African-American uh, with a heavy concentration African-American women. And as you know, you know, black women are starting businesses at, you know, a historical rate. And so, um, so we work with them to develop their brands, uh, to develop their people, their processes, uh, to build small business infrastructure, uh, to think about their unique value proposition, um, how to prospect, you know, their potential market, uh, and to put strategies together that can help them to, to grow their companies. Um, so that's probably about, I don't know, maybe about 40% of our revenue come from that side of the house. So we have, we have a lot of small business clients, but they compose maybe about 40% of our revenue. Um, one of my favorite clients is actually, I think I saw her online, is uh, Kimberly Fowler. Uh, big fan of Kimberly. Um, she is, she can be a, <laughs> a she's just kind of a, a metaphor for what we do, I guess, in a sense. Um, she came to us. Uh, she's a subject matter expert on what she does. And, um, you know, we've really been able to help her to, you know, evolve her brand, to become razor sharp about who her target market is, uh, surround herself with the right people, the right systems. Um, and she's grown exponentially over the last two or three years. So super proud of what she's doing. Uh, on the other side of the house, which is the, the training and workforce development side of the house, because we're based in Louisiana, um, you know, the, the economy here in Louisiana is really focused on you know, what we call pipes and pumps. So it's chemical manufacturing, oil and gas, uh, a lot of, you know, construction, obviously, agriculture, health and hospitals. So we were very fortunate, uh, I don't know, maybe about 20 years ago to have a seat at that table in a sense. Uh, the state was really trying to figure out how to retain young talent and how to attract new talent to the state. And so workforce development became a, a tremendous focus and um, penetrating minority communities to get that message out uh, to, you know, position advanced training programs, associate's degree programs, bachelor's degree programs, things like that. But of course, you know, we can have the training capacity and still not get the enrollment or get the people coming out on the other side of the pipeline. And what my organization was able to do was to explain to stakeholders here in the state um, how they had to build an ecosystem around, you know, where the demand is in essence, and to make sure that the communities that they were targeting had the right 
uh, support mechanisms in place to get people in and out of the, the workforce pipeline. So uh, typically trade associations or, you know, huge companies come to us and they say, hey, look, we're predicting a talent shortage in a particular industry or occupation. And what we'll do is we'll do the research to figure out why that shortage is, is probably happening. Uh, we put strategies in place to address it. And then what makes us different is that we don't just say, here's the plan, but we have grassroots boots on the ground uh, doing the actual work. So uh, just to give you guys, I guess, a sense of who we work with on that side of the house. Uh, if you guys are familiar with the Dow Chemical Company, they're a Fortune 500 company. They're one of our largest clients. Uh, we just picked up a new contract with a company called Newport Steel in St. James Parish here in Louisiana. And we'll be doing some workforce development for them. Um, and if, if any of you are um, in fraternities or sororities, Cap Alpha Psi is a, a, a client of ours. Uh, I'm not a member of a Greek organization, which is the reason why, one of the reasons why we got the opportunity because they didn't want um, anyone that was in a Divine Nine organization. But we do their annual retreat, which is a lot of training, um, you know, on just people stuff, you know, conflict resolution, communication, that type of stuff. So that that's that's the... Love it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you gave the background because again, uh, we've met everybody else. And so I love people to hear your background because let me just as a reminder, um, this dialogue, wherever it goes, you may have heard something you need or one of your friends may need that Terry talked about, even if it's not part of this conversation. Um, definitely love highlighting that I, uh, that I am the connection, if you will, the Mental Dialogue Community Club is the connection between Terry and Kimberly. So love highlighting those. Absolutely. Or whatever and so um that's the goal and people on here on this line have worked with other mastermind members so again we're doing a specific dialogue but part of us doing this um it's been more than six weeks this time i typically don't skip the six weeks it just didn't work out and so anyway with that said um um the ultimate idea is that y'all connect on your own personal level as necessary and it's easy to do that as you get to know each other even in these discussions about other things but without further ado we're going to go ahead and get started again building um acquiring and building assets i'm going to share a quick video uh, uh, about a five minute video a little longer than what i normally share but it's worth it it's actually william um talking just randomly to people that follow him and I think it'll absolutely set the stage for this discussion. Let him speak on his own words and you all can jump in as you hear it. But I just think it's something that um, our culture needs to be thinking about. And I wanted to kind of make sure I put this on the forefront of your minds because I know most of you are legacy minded in some manner or form. And so because I know that about y'all, I wanted to bring this discussion um, to you guys. So I'm gonna share the screen here and play, um, it's actually a six minute video, just so you know. And we'll start right after that. Let's be sure. Hmm. Y'all are seeing my screen, correct? Can yeah, we can see it. All right, I just want to make sure. Um, I'm about to hit play in a second. So make sure, um, tell me if y'all can hear it too. It might go through the mic or it might go through the computer, but hopefully y'all can hear it. Um, see, William, I can see you. So give me a thumbs up if it's loud enough right once you hear it right now what's up peeps how y'all doing listen i want to holler at y'all real quick i got a psa announcement i had an experience this weekend that i want to give you guys a little insight on so you guys are aware of what's going on in the community right and it's it's very important so i was part of a land auction this weekend i'm trying to do it really fast I was part of a land auction this weekend a so-called auction right it was supposed to be an auction so this company that was selling this land was for a lady right 
that we knew. And this lady had this land that had been in the family for years. Now, she wanted to liquidate the land, which is fine. There's no problem with that. If you want to sell, sell. But what I didn't appreciate was the way uh, about it happened. And I want to put you guys on the game of what's going on in our community, in our neighborhood, in regards to reacquiring land from our elders, right? Our baby boomers who have been with, with land that's been in the family for a long time, right? And again, if you want to sell, sell. That's all good. But at least get... Uh, the people who are going to help you get your best interest, who have your best interest in mind when trying to get market value for what you're trying to sell, the asset that you're trying to sell. And there's a lot of predatory buying going on in our community. So I was part of this so-called auction, this auction that was really suspect. And, you know, just suspect the auction ended early. Um, the bids were put in. They were really suspect. They weren't put in properly. It wasn't a, it had no buy now button, right? That would tell you a buy price as well as the auction because usually if somebody can come in and buy before the auction is completed then everybody who's participating knows that there's a buy now possibility right if you got guys participating in the auction and they don't know what the buy now price is and the auction can end at any time that's no legitimacy to the auction i've been part of many auctions so Auctions run like that. Otherwise, your auction has no legitimacy because why would I participate if I don't have the opportunity to also buy now? And I don't know what a buy now price is. So just with that, it didn't have, it ended early. It didn't make sense. It was very, very sketchy, right? So with that being said, what I want you guys to understand is this concept though. This is the concept. We have a lot of our people, right? Uh, baby boomers in our community right now that are being predicated upon for buy to, 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 to buy their land at a very, very cheap under market value price, right? That's happening continuously and continuously in our marketplace, right? And in our community. So what you gotta understand what's happening is because, and the reason why that's happening is because we don't invest in scaling our assets. That's the thing I want you guys to forget all of the stuff that I said about the auction and all of that stuff, people are going to be people, businesses are going to be businesses. This is the issue. The issue is we are not properly understanding how to scale the assets that we have. Let me tell you something, my people. It makes no sense to have assets, right, that you're not going to try to grow over the course of time because what's going to happen is as you get into the fourth quarter of your life, whether you have a business or whether you have land or whether you have properties, whatever it is, if you're not scaling those things, if they're not producing income, if they're not producing revenue, if they're not producing cash flow, ultimately what happens is they become a cost center for you. They become a headache for you. They become a liability for you. So by the time you get in the fourth quarter, if you got 20, 40, 80, 60, 100 acres of land, if all you're doing is paying taxes on that land, there's nothing coming out of that land, there's nothing going on that land, then essentially what's going to happen is when you get into that time where you're making less money and you're commanding less money because you're getting older and it's harder to make money, that is going to be a cost center to you and it's going to be a headache to you, liability, and you're going to want to liquidate it. And when you liquidate an asset, it goes back into the box and we move in the opposite direction. And if you only have, the, if that's the only option you have, now like I said, there's no problem with liquidating. You can sell whatever you want to sell. I'm not saying selling is a bad thing. Ultimately, we all want to sell for the top highest price at the end of the day. But if we're looking to hold an asset that we want to keep in our family and pass down from generation to generation and have that asset provide some security and some nurturing to us, then we have to invest in that when the time is right. That means early. That doesn't mean wait until the end of your life to go 
oh, well, all I'm doing is paying taxes on this, so I'm going to go ahead and sell it, right? That's why in your second quarter, third quarter, halftime, first quarter, you need to be looking at how to acquire assets. And not only acquire assets, we have to learn how to grow assets. So those assets are over the course of time are feeding us and feeding us and feeding us residuals. And then it gets so big that it gets to the point where we can pass that down from generation to generation to generation. If we get to a place where we just give the asset back at the end of our lives, then that asset is, and it hasn't produced anything for us altogether, then we just paid, paid, paid to hold something. And then we gave all that money back. And if you know anything about what's going on today, the, the asset is appreciating. What you're trading for the asset, which is the dollar, is depreciating. So you're actually trading for something that's going down in value. You see what has happened is we, we bought into the system. The system, you know, and this is why you got to understand cycles, my people. You got to understand cycles of what's going on and what's in, but it's not always the same. This is why rich people go broke, right? It's because they don't understand the cycles of value, right? It's about the cycles of value. And right now, when we were coming up, the value was to go into the marketplace, get a degree. That degree was valuable because then you could take that degree and that degree commanded you a certain amount of money each and every year, right? You could get a job. Now that value proposition is changing. Now the value proposition is it's not so much degrees anymore, right? It's not so much about going in debt and getting degrees and buying into that system because what that system did is it pulled you away from the system that allows you to have time to grow the, um, to grow the asset. Right. So now we ignore the asset for 20, 30, 40 years. And now at the end, the asset is going up, but we haven't put anything into the asset because we bought into this system. Now, I'm not saying anything is wrong with education and getting education and getting your degrees. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is you got to understand how the value proposition flows. So, well, you know, I love that video. Um, I thought it was pretty much that's the basis for the discussion, gaining assets, growing assets. You talked about a lot. Um, you probably haven't seen that video yourself for a month, <laughs> month now. So whatever it sparks in your head to kind of add on to, I would right. love to hear your thoughts, King. Well, well, obviously, there was a lot of passion behind that because it was it was it was a it was it was two folded for me. So I was trying to acquire land, which was very emotional for me because that land had been in a family in, in our family for some time or from family members, or at least our community. And what I was trying to do was to make sure it stayed that way. Uh, that, that, that land got away from us, right? So it no longer belongs to us in terms of our race. Um, and it was sold for under market value. So I was very, very um, emotional about the way it all went down, right? Which is not my biggest issue. Business is business. I understand that. I do the same thing from a business perspective. I look for the opportunity. I think that's just capitalism 101, right? You look for the cheapest buy so you can make the biggest return. That's business. The problem I have or the issue I have is exactly kind of what I stated, which is my mother's going through this. So it's emotional for me too, because, you know, my mother's had, she's been a, she's been a solopreneur for 30 years, right? She's owned the flower shop. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big picture guy. I'm a scalability guy. And, and, you know, but I moved away from my mom. So I really, I've never been involved in the family business that she started 30 years ago. I kind of did my own thing, but I've always had this conversation with her and she's from the old school. And I always told her, I said, mom, at some point, you're not going to be able to do what you do by yourself anymore. And I know you love what you do. Right. And I know you love how you do what you do. Right. And she's just, she's an Aquarius. You know, I'm big in ast astrology and she's just, she likes to do things on her own. She's a very controlled uh, person. She's been very successful. 
She's built a business that generates 30 grand a month with just B2B business, not even retail business. She can sit still and where her, where her relationships that she's built over 20 years, she can generate $30,000 just off of business, right? Uh, which she likes. That's cool for her. But now what happened is here recently, she had a health scare, right? And so that health scare, she had a, a bleeding in her brain, right? And she had a, a lot of stroke. And now physically, she can't give the business what she's always given the business. So now she's in a predicament because, and I used to have this conversation where I was like, mom, you gotta, you gotta start the scale. You gotta bring people in. You gotta understand how to remove you from the business. You've had 30 years, right? And what you've never done is you've never invested into the business so that the business is an entity and stand on its own. So when you're ready to sit down or even before you sit down, that business is able to do what it needs to do for you. And so you're not tied to it. So when you don't get to this place, like I talked about in the fourth quarter, where now you have this issue where you got two options, right? My mother got two options. She can sell it. It's kind of what I talked about with the land, right? Or she can, um, what's the other option? I, I forget the other option she had, but both of them are basically options where she pretty much has to put it back in the box, so to speak. And so my biggest thing that I want my entrepreneurs and everybody to understand is phase one is starting the business, which is what we all, right, are pretty much on the same page of doing. Stage two, three, four, and five is when you get that business or that land or that asset or whatever it is, it's how are you going to scale that so you can remove yourself so that it can stand on its own. And we have to, you know, we have to get better at doing that. We have to get better at growing these assets and, and, and reinvesting back into these assets and understand that this is a bit of a long game. Yes, it is. But we have to understand that, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people get caught up in today, right? Short game. I, I'm an investor. So I always look at short and long. There's two, two ways you do things, short, long, right? So you got your short play, you got your long play. They both have their place, right? Short game has its place. I call it a money grab. We talked about that before. And the long has its place. And that's the Residual revenues, the, the long game, what we can pass down, how we can build wealth for our longevity, like Asians do, like Indians do, like, you know, like Middle Easterns do, like everybody else does. They invest in their community, they invest in themselves. And one question we always ask ourselves is, why does it seem like when we have tragedies that happen to other people or other communities, why it seems like they get more uh, action faster? Well, it's because they have more leverage based on these long-term strategies that they do around business because they're able to feed more influence into getting those things taken care of, right? And if we, if we just focus on being solopreneurs, right, such as the example I gave, what happens is, yeah, we can have a lifestyle, but what happens ultimately at the end is it gets, it gets predicated upon. And trust me when I tell you, when I say predicated, even some of our own people go to other people and go, look, I got a deal for you. I got this old lady. She got, she got, she got 80 acres. She don't want it no more. Right. And you can get it as long as you throw me something back. And that happens in our community. If we don't, and I always say, especially with land, we got to put something on it or we got to get something out of it. We can't just hold that land and pay taxes on it because essentially in 30 years, 
the thing that really makes me upset is that lady just attained the money back. If she made money, she probably, based on her taxes every year, she probably just broke even based on what she sold it for. Because over the years, all she did was pay taxes on it to say it's mine. You understand? And so, and so that's what that's 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 kind of the gist. That's a great breakdown, brother. Um, yeah. I want to shoot it over to Terry because I know the business part. Again, this is what this brother specializes in, and and I can imagine that if we had a hundred entrepreneurs on here right now, that they would all listen to you, William, and agree. Or even if they hadn't thought about some of what you're saying, they would be like, okay, yeah, I, I want to figure out how to do that. Yes. As, as, and, you know, Terry's heard me say this a million times on the show, we're great technicians, not always great business people in a sense. And some of that's a learning curve and, you know, you're, you're out there and you're ahead of the game on that. But the beauty is there's a Terry Simmons that exists that can help them with that part. That's what I think he was able to help Kimberly with or whatever. So it's almost like you don't have to do it on your own, even though it's like, okay, what you're saying sounds great, but what do I got to figure out to even be able to do that? Cause I'm still tied up in, grinding over here so i get it mm-hmm. or whatever but i'm pretty sure a lot of this was music to your ears terry just to hear somebody who thinks this way because you're constantly talking about this to your t- to your blue in the face so go ahead any thoughts on what you're hearing brother yeah um unfortunately <laughs> what william described sounds like par for the course and um you know that that dynamic plays out in our communities way too often uh, whether we're talking business or we're talking about, you know, tangible assets like real estate. Uh, to be honest, and, and I don't know that anyone on this call has this issue, but I'll say it because it is being recorded. I know, Montoya, you like to break things down and on the granular level and maybe share it in, in bite-sized chunks. Uh, I think the first thing if we're talking about on, on the small business side is that we really have to change our mentality about uh, how we manage revenue. Um, we steal from ourselves is what I call it. Uh, we don't understand the, the concept of paying ourselves what would in essence be uh, the fair market value for our operational role in our businesses. And what we do is we gouge the business um, and you know we, we use those resources to subsidize a lifestyle as opposed to reinvesting it in the business so that the business can do what William was describing, which is to build infrastructure, uh, to be able to bring on talent, to be able to document processes, to have the right technology, uh, to have the right brick and mortar, if that is in fact a necessity for the business, to have the right equipment, um, and then to be able to bring in talented people that can follow that blueprint and continue to improve upon it. And you know, there's a renaissance going on right now in our communities. And, and so the good thing is that we are starting to see a lot of uh, influences online. Uh, you know, young people like yourself, Montoya, and then those that have, you know, astronomically, si- you know, sized audiences, you know, two, three million followers. Uh, and, you know, we don't need to name them. We all know who they are. A lot of them are Atlanta-based, to be honest. You know, Atlanta is, is, is really a hub where a lot of this is taking place. So the good thing about it is that our community is starting to think about entrepreneurship and investing uh, probably more than we have in the past 70, 80 years. The, the negative thing about it is that a lot of those influences perpetuate the issues that William was describing. And so it's, it, it becomes about, uh, in essence, having um, this alter ego or this moniker that we go by, 
Um, we tell people to quit their jobs, you know, to, to monetize whatever their skill set is, charge what they're worth. Um, and, I, and I even see some of, uh, and, and again, this is it's pertinent as, as far as I'm concerned. I even see a lot of these cats that'll say, um, you know, why would you work, you know, 40 hours for someone else when you can work 80 hours for yourself in essence and, and have the freedom that comes with that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I already know you ain't got no employees because you wouldn't be talking like that if you needed to attract talent. You wouldn't go online and say having a job makes you, in essence, subservient or that you're, you're, you're a second-class citizen if you have to actually attract talent. Because, you, I mean, it, it, it's kind of common sense. So I'm like, okay, yeah, you, you're a solopreneur, you know, with a, with a virtual assistant in Beijing. And, um, you know, you're just pushing a bunch of digital product. And I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with that, but that that's not the model. The, these people, they're gifted that they're gifted communicators, uh, that they may, they may be, you know, aesthetically gifted. They may be funny online. They may be great storytellers. And they're able to attach a product to it that they can sell. Most small business owners have to build businesses in a different type of way. Uh, and so, um, and so I just think that's the first thing is that we got to shift our mentality. The second thing we got to do is realize that, um, over the course of 20, 30, 40 years, what you sell or how you sell it may evolve a number of times because technology is always changing. The market's always shifting. You know, you think about, you know, companies that may have been offering transportation, you know, 10 years ago. And then an Uber and a Lyft comes in and disrupts that market and they got to rethink their whole business model. But a lot of times what happens to us is that our product or service becomes obsolete or if there's a relegated need for it, we don't have the infrastructure to pivot. And I, I learned this really, really early on is that the product or service may change, but whatever the footprint of is of, of that entity, whether that be revenue, whether that be credit, whether that be relationships, vendors, you know, a history of performance, that's stuff that transcends industry or product or service. But we don't really build our businesses that way. We build it on, you know, Jane Doe, right? So if Jane Doe's ability to, you know, do something artistic or do something technical or do something service-based is no longer there, then the business no longer has a place. When if it was built in essence from the ground up or from the back to front, as I like to say, then you could just reskin it, right? Like change the interface, change the message, but still use the same infrastructure. You maybe even the same talent um, that you have in pivoting, going a different direction. Um, and so, and we saw a lot of that, you know, during during the pandemic. And not that it's totally over, but you know, we we saw that happen. And so, I think that it's just a shift in mentality first and foremost. We we tend to think about entrepreneurship from a solopreneurship standpoint, which is what can I do? What can I monetize if I'm making twenty bucks an hour doing this? In corporate America, then certainly I can, you know, demand $100 an hour if I'm doing it for myself, in essence. And it, it just becomes a glorified job at that point because that $100 an hour gets broken down. You know, you, when you was at your job, you didn't have to worry about, you know, business development, marketing. You didn't have to worry about the equipment, the inventory, uh, any of that, the insurance and so forth. So you're still making, you sh matter of fact, you probably still should be making $20 an hour with your company if you provide the same service. That's what the market value is for your skill set. Um, but we don't, I don't think we, A, some of us don't understand it, but I told you to be honest, I think more of us understand it and aren't willing to deploy the sacrifices that's necessary to move that way. I can tell you, and I, I, I'll hush and, and, and let other folks weigh in, but I, I've been 
taken this approach to my businesses since probably 2004 is when it was a real shift for me. Um, and so there were times when, you know, my, my companies were generating, you know, seven figures in revenue, but I was driving a really modest vehicle. Um, most of my employees were driving nicer vehicles than I was. Um, but I would, I would put my money either into the business or I would put it into community-based initiatives that I was passionate about. So like pre-pandemic, I would sponsor these basketball teams. Man, I would spend 40, 50 grand a summer making sure that these inner city kids could go and, you know, lay up in four or five star hotels and do these different things. And so I got to a point where I realized that in, 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 my, in my base market, which is Louisiana, and I got clients in, in Georgia and Texas and, and, you know, Pennsylvania, you know, you name it. I, I, we do this all over the country, but, you know, Louisiana is my, my primary base. And I, there was always this ambiguity around what does Terry do or what does T. Simmons and company do? And, you know, Montoya, I put out a ton of content. So you almost got to be, you know, walking around deaf, dumb, and not understand what we do. But it wasn't that they didn't understand what we did. It was that the validity wasn't there because I wouldn't go and get the iconic stuff that our community places the emphasis on, right? And so it's like, now, don't get me wrong. I have nice things. I, you know, I, I live a really good lifestyle. My kids are spoiled. Um, but the thing, if I spend money on something, it has to have a, a functional use, right? So... So like, you know, I, I got a Mercedes van, but it's because I need it for business travel. I need to be able to move my team around. I don't drive a Mercedes per se for my own personal use. Um, and it was a lot of ambiguity around what does he do? How does he do it? Is it really legitimate? Because the stuff that I place value on is not where our community place value. So, you know, I would tell people this all the time. You want to go find where my money is, you might be go look in my, you know, in my server closet versus looking on my driveway. Get it? But, you know, so I think I think that's really you know, from just from a mindset standpoint, I think that's where the most work is to be done is that, A, we got to start thinking about infrastructure first. And then if we're thinking that way, then we have to say, okay, you know, if I have this cafe that does 1.2 million a year, I can't pay myself $300,000 to run that cafe. You know, I'm going to pay myself $100,000 to run that cafe. And, you know, I'm going to reinvest those dollars into starting the second, third, and the fourth cafe or making sure that I got the right POS, you know, FinTech system or whatever, whatever it is that they need. So I think that's what it is. But again, I don't know that anyone on this call has that issue, but maybe, you know, this is something you can deploy to your broader audience uh, and broken down. But that's the real issue is that they pull up in my office and they, the husband pulls up, they in business together, husband pulling up, he in a, you know, five series bins, the wife in a Denali. And they're telling me that, you know, they don't have a resource to reinvest in the company. I'm like, you just drove up in it. You know, it, it just, it happens, it happens every day. So I think that's where the most work is to be done. We don't, when we talk about the technical skill, I mean, I'm not a doctor, you know what I'm saying? But if, if I have an ailment, I know to go to someone that went to school 16 years for it. So I don't think the issue is that we have to know how to do it. We just have to, A, know to do it. And then secondly, be willing to do it. And then go find the subject matter experts to help us to build in that manner. But I don't, I don't, so I don't think, but I don't think it's a scarcity of the information availability of people to do it it's it, re, it will require us to have a generation of sacrifice right and, and it'd be that delayed gratification that we're not always willing to do because it's catch-22 a lot of a lot of our people will say well i'm not going to be able to get the traction in my community and get the business if i don't project success so then what we do is we fake it till we make it or we put the car before the horse and i think that's the biggest issue in our communities I respect it again. Um, great information. I'm going to push it back to William for one more thought before, and I'm going to go to Brother Pianchi after this. 
Um, so William, um, you were on, our sh- I forgot the last show I had you on, but mm-hmm. I remember you specifically explaining money grab versus a long time play. And you mentioned it right. just here a few minutes ago. Right. So um, I would like, I'll kind of put you on the spot, but I know you'll be able to do this. So I know, again, for some of your businesses, you've done the money grab. You told me right. that. I remember you said it on the show. Uh, I, forget, I don't know if it's the, um, if the um, rap business is one of your long-term plays or not. I can't remember that. But even if it don't have to be about that one in particular, but if you can tell me about one of your long terms that you are thinking as you right. wish your mother had, right? You talked about wishing she would have thought about scalability along those 30 years. So since I since clearly you have an understanding of the desire and the need to do that because mm-hmm. you think of legacy, can you um, kind of think about one of your businesses, whether it be the rap business or another one that you or your school, your seller school might be one of your long-term right. plays. But can you tell me um, just personally some things you did thinking long-term that where you could have done, like Terry said, you could have did something else. You could have lived a personal lifestyle, but you said, you know what, instead of doing this, because I want to scale, I did this. I think some entrepreneurs need to hear a real life example of what that looks like. Well, like I, like I said before, you know, I come from the traditional background. So traditional is going to college, right. Got an MBA, uh, got a, got an electric, uh, electronics engineering degree, uh, undergrad. So, uh, went to work for a Fortune 500 company, realized that I didn't want to play that game, saw the ceiling. And so that gave me a lot of perspective. And I saw how that company actually operated around reinvesting back into itself and why it was number one. And it was Intel Corporation. They always, at that point, they led the industry in innovation. And one thing, I really studied that company. And what that company showed me was the amount of money they reinvested back into technology, they actually went out and created demand. Like they created demand that wasn't there, right? They uh, they invested in technology that um, just kept them ahead. And this was the advantage strategically of how they stayed in front of everybody else. So even at that level, they were investing, uh, you know, a third of their money back into, that they made back into innovation and and their people they gave like even the employees it was so good i got homies there that still work there 30 years i started i started intel back in 98 and i got homies that are still there they just had like their 20 25 year anniversary you know that's unheard of these days and what that is is that's because intel invests back into those people so well that those people don't leave and so this is this is the strategy and the understanding that I started to get at that level. I said, okay, this this makes a lot of sense. So when I left that and started to do it on my own, a lot of the thoughts that I took when I was doing it on my own, people people call my thoughts radical because they didn't understand what Terry was talking about. They call it radical. They're like, bro, that's radical. Like that don't like like compressed work weeks. That don't work. Four days off, four days on, twelve hour shifts. Who does that? Like nobody does that. Like that's radical. So the point I'm making is right? You have to understand, you have to have that mindset first. So that was a mindset that I got from the experience that Terry was talking about. So once I got that mindset, it was like, it was like the blue pill. I couldn't, I was like, that's what a success is. That's just what it is. That's the differentiation. So what I did is I took that into my businesses once I left corporate. So I did, you know, I took my corporate money and I said, I can, I can do this at a lower scale and make more money and have more impact. What Intel does, I can do it at a lower scale and, and, and then provide more for myself. And then do it like Intel does. And so I started to do that. So when I first started, let's let's talk about the rap business. We'll start with the rap business. The rap business 
And what you understand about your business is sometimes you don't know what strategy is going to be. It could be short. It could be long. Which one works best is a decision you make based on the the the, the every the whole ecosystem, right? Because it might be it might be a local game like wrapping cars. We can't wrap cars in other countries or other cities or other states. So it's a local game, right? So the incentive to grow that is a little different. It's like, okay, the only way to really scale that would be maybe a franchise, right? So you have to start thinking about these things like scalability. What would scalability look like? And is it feasible? And sometimes that decision can't be made right now because what you have to do is you might have to grow the brand first. Same thing Terry was talking about. I might have to establish a brand in my business that says Jekyll and Hyde, everybody wants no matter where it is. And so when that demand is, the brand is that now maybe I can sell the brand for a higher uh, uh, multiplier because it's a, it's a brand now. Or maybe some people want that brand in their local market. So now I start thinking about, okay, scalability based on, on that strategy. So that's one strategy. Okay. On the school side, that's more of a, uh, say, a, um, a virtual marketplace, right? So it's like, okay, I can leverage technology a little bit better in this so I can have a small amount of people, right? And in that business, when I first left Intel, like Terry was saying, I was paying myself $400 a month. I had employees that were making $50,000 a year because you have to understand that, yes, if I'm going to, because I came in with that mindset though. That's, it's a little different. I came in with that mindset. But what you got to understand is that growth, like, like just the example he gave, you can't drive the Denali. You can't pay yourself six figures because you're raping, like they use the term rape. You're, 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 you're killing the business. You're suffocating your business. You're in the business's way. You're taking all the resources out of the business. And a lot of times that's what I see. Now, my mother was, she's just old school. She don't like people. <laughs> no, no, for real though. She is like her, her, her ability to actually jail with people. She's a, she's too much of a control freak. So she had a problem with like, coming in and teaching. She wasn't a great teacher. She was a great executor. She's a great technician, but she's not a great teacher of how to. So she knew what her strengths were. And so for her, she understood the, the strategy to scale, but for her, it wasn't in her best interest to do so because she knew what her strength was. And I'm sure there's a lot of people on here who can choose to scale if they want to, but they're like, you know what? I don't, I don't want the headache. And that's okay. Short is okay. That's not what we're saying. What I don't want people to, to get confused on right? I just want you to know what the outcome could be, right? Short is okay. It's not a bad deal. Short is okay as long as you have a strategy, a strategic plan, right? Take the short money and go invest it in something else. That's a, that's a, a less uh, demand investment. That's, that's great. If I can make an extra $10,000 a month, I can go put that into some stocks. Beautiful. But if I really want to create an asset and, you know, especially if I'm acquiring big assets, like you know, uh, real estate and land, and I got a company that I want to scale, I want to take it big, then I have to have that longevity mindset. And what I can't do is pull all the resources out and then come to Terry and ask him to fix my issue. Because like he said, I'm, I'm driving up in it. He already know what the problem is. And I'm gonna have to make those sacrifices, right? I know people that sleep in their car, their own businesses. You understand what I'm saying? I know people that, you know, have lost relationships based on businesses. So at the end of the day, it's like, which Really, you have to make the decision on what are you investing in? Is all your, are you investing in the lifestyle or are you investing in the business? The business is the entity. It's just like a child, right? If you think about it like a child, 
That's what I tell people all the time when I coach them. If you think about it like a child, what sacrifices do you make as a parent when you're raising your child? Financially, that's an easy concept to understand. You know what I mean? Because you go, we all know we, we give our children more money than we give ourselves. And that's because of what we want our children to turn out to be. It's a long-term investment. And your entity, your business, if you're going to put that time, that money, that energy, that headache, that sacrifice to it, then you have to have that same mindset with your business. So I, I hope that answers the question, Montoya. Absolutely. No, I love it. I love For it. Me, yeah, Montoya, can I, can I interject something? Yeah, can please do. Can you what, what you're saying? Yeah, please do. So, uh, because I see we have a few new faces that joined. So, yeah, it, it's, it's okay if, if you want your business to be, in essence, a pass-through. Because that's what he was describing. Do you do you want to do you want to really invest in that business and build equity in that brand, build equity in that system? Do you want to do that, or is it a pass through? The issue is, we'll use the business as a pass through, but all of the money is going into our pockets, and, and instead of going into other appreciating assets. So, just to be clear, if you are someone that's a licensed electrician and you decide to become an independent contractor. Because instead of working for Mr. Johnny and making $35 an hour, you know, you can increase your earning potential, improve your lifestyle, improve the lifestyle of your family, um, and do it on your own terms. That's cool. And you may not aspire to have 50, you know, electricians that work for you. That's cool. But just make sure that there's a percentage of that revenue that's going into appreciating assets, whether it's stocks or real estate or whatever, so that when you get into your latter years, or if God forbid, you know, you got corporal tunnel or, you know, you, you got bone spurs in your, in your ankles, you can't stand for long periods or whatever the thing is, um, you know, that you have other things that are working for you. But I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an, a, a case in point, um, Montoya, of, of how scale, scaling requires a shift in mindset. So for a period of time, I had a lot of um, African-American owned mental health rehabs that were clients of mine here in Louisiana, there was some legislation that made it a fertile ground for African-Americans because a lot of us have social work or psychology backgrounds or education backgrounds. So they're able to start these businesses that initially didn't require a lot of startup capital and they can pick up these uh, you know, case management loads, right? Uh, kids that are dealing with behavioral issues, they may be dealing with grief, they may have parents that are incarcerated, they may be autistic, whatever that thing is. And in essence, these companies were offering counseling to help to, you know, bring wraparound services to these kids, right, to help them to get through their academic careers. And so that's something that, uh, and to be honest, there's a lot of African-American uh, women that were getting into the business. Well, of course, anytime we start to saturate a business, then the regulations start to change, right? So they start creating barriers to entry. Absolutely. The barriers to entry had to do with credit and startup capital. And the way they did it was... They didn't just do it where they said, oh, well, you got to have, you know, a 50 grand startup capital. It had to be in the form of a line of credit. Oh, wow. So you could have a half a million dollars in the bank if you couldn't go qualify for a $50,000 unsecured line of credit then you couldn't get into the business. So that's what stopped, you know, the, the influx of us getting into it. But, but this is the point that I'm trying to make. So they get into it and let's just say they pick up a caseload with 30 or 40 kids and they're servicing the caseload, Right. They're getting paid, you know, three figures per hour from the government. So they're living a really good lifestyle on that caseload. Okay. So once, so when it's an individual that's managing a caseload, you're thinking like a case manager. 
right? Mm -hmm. But as soon as you want to scale that business, you have to immediately start thinking like a staffing agency. Well, why is that? Because you're getting paid from the Department of Health and Hospitals and getting paid from insurance companies that are going to take what? 30, 60, 90 days to pay you. Right. So what you're basically doing is you're floating the government's payroll and getting reimbursed at a multiple. You see where I'm going with that? Yes. So, the, the, so the mindset of the individual that just wants to have 30 kids on their caseload and make, you know, $17,000 a month, pay themselves 10K, seven grand goes into whatever expenses they have, then cool. But as soon as you want to have multiple locations or you want to have 300 kids on your caseload that one individual can't service, you have to immediately start thinking like a staffing company. And where do I get a line of credit where I can leverage that to be able to float my payroll, reimburse myself when the check comes in and do it all over again? And most of them, if not all of them that were working with me, they all struggle to make that leap. So then what happens? To William's point, a larger company comes in from North Carolina and they say, hey, look, you know, I know you're struggling from payroll to payroll. And I'm seeing where, you know, one of your larger reimbursements got disallowed because the case notes was duplicated or, you know, there was some documentation that you didn't include. That company needed that 50 grand to hit at a certain time. So now they got to furlough people or they got employees that's ticked off because they can't pay them on time. So they're like, you know what? I'm tired of this perpetual cycle. I'm going to quote unquote sell. Mm -hmm. But you really didn't sell. What you did is you took some upfront money to become a glorified employee because what do they tell them? They say, well, you know, we'll, we'll keep you on as a general manager, right? And allow you to still run the business and you'll get paid on performance. But really what happened was you, you, you cashed out prematurely because you just didn't have the infrastructure and you weren't financially solvent enough to be able to grow. And I, and I, I see that happen a lot with us, whether that's at that point or whether it's, you know, down the line when you've been in it for 20 years, Typically, we don't get what it's worth because the company doesn't look healthy on paper. So it's easy for someone to come in and just say, well, you know what? I'm going to give you 100 grand for it and we'll cash out. But really, that, that business might be worth 700 grand. But it's not it's just not composed in the right way. So that's what happens to us a lot of times. Yeah, I love that example because it's, let me say this. I love that example because it's real key to the video, William. You tell having the asset, whether it's land, whether it's business. Mm -hmm. And so if you never do what Terry just said mm -hmm. for something that you're looking to hold on to and you're doing well with, that's not developing the business. I want to go to Brother Pianchi before you jump back in, uh, okay. William. And again, it's just partly, again, just due to, um, for those that are just jumping on Brother Pianchi's longtime listener, I think all of y'all listen to the show, so y'all have heard Brother Pianchi before. Um, but what's curious for me, Brother Pianchi, I know you've probably heard a good, lot of good information here, but what's curious for me is, I know you've pretty much retired, as you say, um, from building um, steel structures, if you will. Um, how did you figure that out years ago? And I say years ago, just from the standpoint of, we have... Um, uh, I've done a years ago, I did a show on like black business history, which rarely gets done or whatever. And I had on brother um, Jim Klingman, who broke down a lot of, the, in a sense, African-American or black um, business history that a lot of us don't know. Uh, how in the world did you figure this out years ago and became so thorough? Um, when did this scale aspect come to you, come to you to where you point where you got into commercial, um, you know, structuring? So like, if you could just kind of speak to that aspect of scaling for you. Commercial steel erection. I started when I was 19 years old, and uh, I worked in the field. I only worked for one company all my life. Then later on, when I started my own company, I would partner with them. And uh, I used to run their work. You know, I was a black man. You know, employees were white males. 
uh, that's the way the intake was, but I used to run their work. Then I got to the point where I, I seen a political opportunity and uh, I was in, people said, well, you need to start your own business, which I did. I tried to buy the company I worked for. They had been around since the early 1900s. And uh, this gentleman didn't want to sell. And I, he said, well, why don't you start your own business? I said, well, so I'm going to do it anyway. And we worked uh, on a lot of uh, projects together. And uh, not only with him, but others. But, you know, to get back to the point, and I was going to tell Terry, Terry, what you just uh, described happens to everybody. Everybody can give you a story of where uh, what you just experienced happened uh, to them. So in the essence of thing, it does happen to everybody. Now, let me talk about assets. You know when assets begin? Assets begin actually when you're a kid. When you have that Lionel train set, when you have those toys that you never open in a box, when you have baseball cards and you have a coin collection, those are assets. And many uh, people hang on to them. Many people get rid of them. Uh, my grandson's got toys he never opened. I told my daughter, other said, don't throw them toys away. Keep them in the box. Don't even open the box because they are assets. And people have to recognize that the value of things today is going to be greater at some point in time in the future. And that's just the way it is. Now, you know, another point you was talking about the, the land. Uh, blacks that own land, they should turn that land into productivity, especially in Georgia, because you grow a certain tree in Georgia. If I'm not mistaken, it's called the Georgia pine. And the U.S. Department of Agriculture have programs that will work with you, landowner, to show you how to turn that land into productivity. One way is growing uh, trees, which would help this nation to become independent from uh, its joining nation like Canada, uh, which uh, was going on, you know, back in the last administration. And another thing, if you got land, you want to have farm, you got the U.S. Department of Agriculture again will help you turn that coin, I mean, so that land into where you're growing whatever you want to grow. And if you want to grow sheep, if you want to grow cattle, you want to grow, especially goats, because there's a great demand in goats, because you have a lot of foreigners coming from countries where goat meat was a casino. And, you know, there's so many opportunities. You look at the future. You remember we used to see the cartoons on the, uh, on Saturday, the Jetsons, mm -hmm. and you see the cars traveling through the air. That's going to become a reality. Uh, I'm working with my grandson to get his general aviation license. He's a, he, he went to college. He's got a double major. He down here in Louisiana State. He has a, uh, his first major was gas and petroleum. And he just graduated with his second major with a business with a minor in energy. And uh, drones. He's getting his drone certification. I'm working to get him his uh, general aviation license. Why is that? Well, the uh, U.S. military and also the Bureau of Labor Statistics said that there's going to be a shortage in pilots. Uh, you have a school here in Louisiana that's starting young kids off at, a, at the elementary level, the middle school, and they're teaching them avionics on through their high school years so that they can be prepared or be able to sell their talents in that particular field. Now, why is it good to work in these fields? Well, 
you and I got a friend, uh, Brent, and what is he talking about doing? He's talking about starting a company that does aerial refueling for the prior service for your UPS, your FedEx, when they take off from New York, flying to California, they don't have to land in the Midwest, they can be refueled in the air. And that's a great need. I don't know of anybody else that's doing that. Matter of fact, I think it may be only one other company within this area of the Midwest or the middle part of the country that's doing that. So these opportunities exist. And what a parent has to do, and you know, I constantly talk about this, occupational and business projections are all over the place. You just got to look at it and see which best fits you and direct your children into those areas. Expose them young. You can tell when they uh, catching on to something. We do it with the, uh, with the rap lyrics. We do it with basketball and football. So, yes. And you know another thing, too. You would be surprised the number of businesses that you don't know who own are owned by Blacks. It's doing some tremendous things even into the area of making isotopes for nuclear medicine and even nuclear fuel for the U.S. Navy submarines and ships. Well, love you for that insight. Um, Emil, um, you've been here the whole time, so I'd love to hear. I know I know you want to say something else, William, but I just want to kind of shoot it around. I'll come back to you after Emil. Um, oh, yeah, no problem. Um, but, yeah, I know you've been hearing the whole thing. So any thoughts, anything you want to share? Um, One other thing before I go. I don't know how to use this. Mm -hmm. Over in your chat room, I put a, a JPG of one of my latest projects. I guess you have to click it to open it up. Mm -hmm. But it's a seaport for a friend of mine who represents a group in Nigeria. And I, that project there would be anywhere from four to six, maybe $8 billion. Depends on to the greatest extent that they go about doing it. They came to me to ask me to help them because I have a background in heavy projects, big projects. And I can look at those things. And, you know, one thing, actually, uh, your T-shirt can be worn by females. It can be worn by kids. So what you have expertise in one thing can carry over into something else. And uh, you can look at it and run with it. I appreciate you. Like I said, we're here for another 30 minutes, but if you need to go, Brother Pierre, I definitely respect that. Um, but thank you for, again just for some of the time. I wanted to get a okay. chance to hear everyone, yes. All right, sounds good. All right, Emil, just you've been kind of taking it all in. Again, um, any thoughts or any questions or anything, brother? Well, I'll tell you, you know uh, me, I'm always thinking strategically, and but I always, you know, sort of reverse engineer things. So I'm going to go back and then go forward. Um Brother Terry, you talked about something that's really important. I think we all need to hear that there's going to be an attack on our success. And we need to know that as Black people in America, that our success is never unmolested. It has to be something we factor in as a norm because we are not in a society that treats us equally or ever will. And some of this, what we talk about, we often talk about it as if we're in, a, in an environment that's neutral to our success. That is not true. So Part of our business planning is to think about what forms will the majority take in order to attack our success and either to prevent us from going further or to eliminate us as competition from a market that they may want to share. And we have tons of examples of this, nonviolent, you know, technically nonviolent, not physically violent, but financially violent, um, business environment violent that have been 
part of that we have been surprised at as if we thought we were going to compete on an even playing field. Second thought, again, going backwards before we go forward, is a lot of us start businesses because we're fed up, right? I call it FPBS, it's F this BS syndrome, um, also known freedom to be syndrome. Because a lot of us, we get into corporate America, we find out that it's ho more hostile to us than we were told. We go to an HBCU, we find out that the HBCU environment is not the Fortune 500 environment, that what we learned uh, in the environment that we learned it in is not neutral. So a lot of us started business, whether or not we want to admit it or not, because we either got to the glass ceiling and couldn't break through or decided that we just didn't want to because it was a lot of BS that we had to deal with and we didn't want to play the game. So when we start those businesses from that motivation, a lot of our long-term thinking does not include what William was talking about, which is how do you build and grow an asset class that we created from scratch? Because it's not out of, we're not trying to build and grow an, uh, a, a an asset class. We're trying to A, survive, or B, get out from under the thumb of some oppressive bullshit. Now, once we talk about these things and we know that we, A, have a hostile environment we have to work under, and B, that we a lot of times started our business just to get out from under the oppression and hostility of corporate America, now we can have a, another conversation, which is now that you're here, now that you're in the market, now that you are part of the entrepreneur class, what is your goal in the next 30 years? And this is what William hit very hard. And I just want to say it like this. If we don't ask about that motivation, we'll never get to the next step, which is how do we turn this motivation to get out from under the oppression and BS into a long-term uh, income-producing asset that can grow over time? And uh, Brother Pianchi talked about you know, how to use land. Land can be used in so many ways, it's not even funny, but if we don't understand that the land that we hold has value to people who understand it better than we do, we will not use that value that they understand. So the first step is, why do you have the land? Just ask a dumb question. Why do you have the land? Oh, my mother gave it to me. Do you know what your land means? Because each parcel of land has 17 different layers of maps. You know, there's a mineral map, there's a population map, there's a zip code map, there's all these different maps that every parcel of land represents. So it's not just one dimension, it's land, it's a farm, it's a, it produces trees or corn, or it, it can hold goat. There are black farmers right now in every, almost every state in the South that need more land that you can just lease it to and USDA will pay you for that. There's a ton of ways we can use that land when you know what you intend to do. And a lot of us, we're surviving, we're just we're just trying to live each day without, without the oppression of somebody who hates us. And we don't know what to ask. So somebody's got to ask us, what do you intend? And we say, I don't know. I never thought about it. Okay, let's go over what this land represents. Last point, and then I'm out. Now that we're here, we have this cohort of brilliant minds. To me, the fundamental thing that we can do is be the example. So every one of us needs to start. Pianchi's doing it. William's doing it. I know Kimberly's doing it because Terry just called her out. And Terry's doing it because he just called Kimberly out. So now we know that we are a bunch of us doing the right thing. But now we got to continue to model that behavior. What does it look like to build and grow a successful business? What William said and what Terry said is a lot of us are driving around the asset class we need to develop. What that means is in our community, success looks backwards. It doesn't look right. What we should be asking is not what do you drive, I can see your success, but 
How much did your business grow? How much did you reinvest in your company? How many new employees did you bring on? How many new apprentices did you help put through train school so that you could grow your own pipeline of workers that you could empower? How many franchisees did you spawn? Because those questions would be a much more, and we, we, I'm not asking to change the popular culture. I'm talking about us right here being the people who ask each other those questions so that when others hear us talk, they start to, they start to mimic and pivot on what we're saying. We're going to be the ones that lead that kind of conversation. Thank you uh, for asking Montoya, but there was a bunch of things I was thinking about. And the things that I, I, I get from these masterminds is that I'm around a bunch of brilliant people and I ain't trying to be more smarter than they are. Y'all, y'all, y'all smoke something amazing. And I hope it, it, I hope I can keep on smoking it with you because I'm getting so much gain from y'all. Appreciate y'all. Um, Terry, I'm going to shoot to you. Hey, then I'm coming to you with you. No, that, that, that's, that's, that's good stuff. Uh, pass the collection plate on, on that, on that commentary. Um, I go, going back to the, the video that you shared at the top of the, uh, the meeting uh, and, and kind of taking a pivot and I guess shifting the conversation back in that direction. And I'm, I'm going through that with my, uh, you know, with my mom's side of the family right now, where uh, my grandfather, who actually passed away when my mom was pregnant with me, so I never met him, um, had a fourth grade education. For what I understand, he was a longshoreman uh, as a profession. Uh, was savvy enough to understand the power of investing in real estate. Um, I grew up in a very in a rural community, uh, so you know not only was the town very small, but you know within that town, you know everyone kind of had their own little village, so to speak. And in our village, the street that I grew up on, um, my grandfather had purchased uh, a number of pieces of land, and his goal was simply to be able to control his entire family dynamic by everyone having their piece of land on that street, a house that he had erected. And then, you know, when they passed on, their heirs had had something, right? Um, but obviously not understanding success, uh, succession planning and things like that. And so we're going through that process right now of identifying who are all the heirs. Uh, and then my siblings and I are, you know, trying to gain control of those properties and redevelop them. Um, one thing that I've had an opportunity to do on, on the workforce development side of what my company does is to work with housing authorities, because obviously housing authorities um, can be a conduit to, you know, low income families that are looking for upward mobility. Over the past, if I just, I don't know, I guess HUD has probably been really aggressive over the past 15 years. As we can see, you know, HUD is getting out of the public housing business and they have gotten into the affordable housing business. Uh, that is a huge opportunity for those of us that grew up in what you know are traditionally African-American neighborhoods, because now we don't have to simply look at you know, the, the growth potential of the asset in terms of its value, and we can look at what the you know, monthly revenue can be if it is in fact turned into section eight. We don't have to make it complicated. And, you know, I know that came with a stigma for years because, you know, be perceived that, you know, maybe you're going to have a tenant that, you know, won't protect the integrity of the property, uh, you know, that will do more damage than the revenue is worth and things like that. But, you know, do, going that route, you know, you don't lose control over who's in it. 
Um, so you can still have standards. I mean, there are tons of, you know, women that are healthcare practitioners or, or that work in culinary or whatever that make, you know, $38,000 and they need subsidized housing. Um, they care about their kids' education. They'll take care of the property, uh, but it's, it's going to be subsidized. And so I think that's, in my opinion, one of the biggest opportunities in our communities right now because there's not enough inventory to meet the demand. So HUD is having to partner with the private sector. Now, a lot of times that means developers where they're actually, I've seen deals where HUD will do a, an assessment on, on a property that they, in essence, own. And they'll say, oh, we're going to decommission the property because it's just not worth you know, redeveloping. They'll sell it to a developer, uh, air quotes for the sell, to a developer for pennies on the dollar, right? And then ink a deal with that same developer where after they build it uh, with government subsidies, if they will, let's say, allocate a certain percentage of the development to, again, subsidized housing. And what will happen is that same developer will, in essence, have a monopoly on the management and the maintenance of it. So it's like they got three businesses in one, right? They may sell a percentage of the development, rent out the other percentage, but they got built-in tenants and they getting paid to maintain the properties. So um, I'm not trying to say that we have to, again, do that at scale because maybe you know, not all of us may have that, the financial resources to do it. You can do it with Big Mama's house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we don't have to complicate it. Right, you can do so the same bring it up. concept to, to that one house. Exactly, bring it up to code. And then what happens is when, you know, that, that dirty word gentrification happens, now that asset, as William was describing, that asset is at least, right, it's, it's, it's where it is. A part of code. You know, exactly, exactly. So, now, when that happens around you, when they start buying up everything around you and inflating the, you know, the prices and things of that nature, yeah, it, it, you know, some people may be locked out, but you're in. You're in. Right. So, 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 so either, either you benefit from that growth and development, or if you decide that you want to cash out, you cash out at a premium, uh, you know, where you don't, you know, you're not getting taken advantage of it. So I think that's um, really a, an opportunity that we need to take a hard look at in our communities because it's, it's not what it used to be. You know, you, I mean, I know here in Louisiana, you know, Hurricane Katrina was kind of the genesis of that uh, here, in essence, because it, it gave public officials an excuse to do what they were planning to do anyways. And so, um, you know, when you pass by public housing now or affordable housing now, I mean, it looks like, you know, high-end condominiums. Right. And you got people living there that's paying $8 a month in rent. But, you know that fourplex may be bringing in, you know, $11,000 a month in revenue and the service to debt might be $3,000 a month. So, you know, it's kind of simple math, you know? So I, I just think that that's a huge opportunity in our communities that we're overlooking because a lot of times we're looking at the blight, we're looking at the crime, we're looking at the fact that we don't want to live there. We don't want to have to maintain, you know, the landscaping. We don't want to be getting service calls. You're remembering the narrative. And the narrative. You're remembering the narrative. Yeah, exactly. and, 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 and we've lived it to a degree, some of us, right? Not all of us. Right. But some we've right. lived it, and the narrative is outliving the reality. And so right. it's costing us opportunity. And as you said, the word justification has this negative connotation. I'm not trying to give it a positive connotation, but Krilla Mike was the first person I ever said to her say this. I was going to give credit where I get it from, but he was like, why can't we do that for ourselves? So right. it's, if development is going to happen anyway, instead of being getting, you know, the mentality of get out the hood and we know where it comes from if you if you grew up in that situation. So it's understandable. But if everybody else is running back to the hood except for us, it could be us is your point. 
to a degree. Uh, William, if you could jump in here, and I'm gonna ask Lisa to give us some give us some thoughts that she's been observing for a while as well. But I'm pretty sure you got some thoughts as well. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I know we're talking to a, a, a lot of entrepreneurs here, so I like to give what I do with my students is I give action items, right? Because we talk about a lot of the problems and we talk about the high level stuff. And the problem we have a lot of times is we have a lot, high, a lot of high level conversations, but we really don't understand action items we can take hey, in, order to move, in order to move forward on. We ain't our, fighting you. Just do it. Right. Just, so, this group ain't fighting you. So, 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 so leverage is something that I really talk a lot about with my, with my students, right? How do we leverage what we actually have power over and what we have control of? Uh, because it's one thing to talk about what we need to do. It's another thing to talk about what we already have that we can actually nice. utilize. Nice. So just like a lot of these, you know, black women and black men here have businesses and they may be solopreneurs, which is great. They may have cash flow, which is great. I don't know how much, but anything is great. You understand what I'm saying? Because what you can do in order to scale is leverage what you currently have. And so one of the techniques that I actually teach our, our people how to do do is you don't have to because it takes a certain skill set to start a business it takes a different skill set to grow a business so when we talk about short and long those are two different skill sets right now some people are good at doing both some people are good at doing one some people are good at doing the other some people are very good at startup this is why you see a lot of businesses you see you see one management team they come in they're responsible for starting stuff up and then as soon as they get a startup and going they move to another startup then they bring in the scale team those are two different skill sets. So it's a, the first thing, it's important to understand those things. If you don't have the skill set to scale, don't try to scale. You're going to lose because it's different. If you if you're, if, if you're a go-getter, putting people together, you've got meetings, you can get it going and then pass it off, that's what you focus on. If you're not good at starting it up, you're good at growing it, then that's what you focus on. So you have to understand what leverage you have. Now, one of the things that one of the people I follow is I follow – Mr. Buffett, Mr. Warren Buffett himself, and his strategy is buying business that are already scaled to a certain extent. Because what he's not great at, as much money as he has, is starting new businesses. He knows his weakness. This is a man that has billions of dollars, billions upon billions. So what's his strategy? He ain't trying to start no new business. He's trying to acquire businesses that are already scaled, Right. So how can we do that? How can we leverage what we have to do the same strategy? Do you have to be Warren Buffett? Absolutely not. You just have to understand the strategical approach. So if I got a cash flow, for example, like my mom, she got a $30,000 a month cash flow, right? She doesn't leverage that, but she could if she was in a position to do so. She's 72 years old now, so she ain't hungry enough to leverage cash flow to take on nothing else, right? But if I'm... 30, 25, 40, 50 years old, I might be still a little hungry to leverage that cash flow. So how do I leverage it? Well, the action assignment I give a lot of my students to do is go on to the website called buy, uh, is it biz buy sale? I think it's called biz buy sale or buy biz sale, right.com, right? Let me get it right. So, I, so I'm not misinforming you guys, right? So you go on this website, right? And it is called, uh, I think it's called buy biz sale. If I'm not, it's one of the, it's, it's in that order. It's either buy biz sale or biz buy sale. Go on there and do your homework and see what businesses are being sold in the marketplace. And then look at those numbers. Look at cash flows. Look at what they're selling it for. Look at how they want to sell it. A lot of these guys are 
seller financing. A lot of these guys are open to seller financing. What does that mean? What does that mean? Anybody know what that means, seller financing? A lot of you guys know what that means already, right? That means the seller is willing to finance the buy. So if you got $30,000 a month coming in, instead of putting it into that Denali, instead of putting it into that, right, into that, that Yukon, right, what should you be doing? You should be looking for businesses to acquire that are already scaled. I'm talking half a million to a million dollars. If you if you're generating thirty thousand, forty thousand, fifty thousand dollars a month, you can you can qualify. You got good credit. I know I got some credit people on this thing, right? That's already lined up, right? You can go and you can take the risk. What we got to be comfortable with is taking that risk on that business. If I want to acquire a five hundred thousand dollar business, I can do it because I can call somebody. You know what's going on right now in the marketplace? People are retiring. People are retiring. So if people are retiring, that means they're ready to put it down. What does that mean for you? Oh, negotiable, baby. Negotiable. So you got 500000 I might come in and give you a $325,000 offer. And then I might only want to put down $50,000 and, and, and finance the rest. For a retiree, that might sound great because what I got another 10, 15 good years, pay me month to month. I'm looking for it anyway. These are things that we have to understand. These strategies in this marketplace where instead of taking that $30,000 we make every month or 10 or 15 or whatever it is, right? Instead of going and, and, and buying the lifestyle, we go acquire the business that's already doing what we can't be good at, what we're not good at doing. That's already, that's already what Warren Buffett does. Same strategy. Warren Buffett doesn't buy new businesses. What he does is he buys businesses that are hurting. He buys because he knows what to look for. He can look for it on paper. Warren Buffett can literally look at the paper and say if he wants to buy this business or not. He don't even have to look at the business. It can be a candy business. Matter of fact, if you look at his portfolio, he got all kinds of it. Man, got a candy business, right? Because he looks at the numbers. And that's what we got to understand in our community and black people and teach our kids math. Starts early. Math. If we understand that math, everything else is going to make sense. So now let we take interject, that Let me interject this yeah, yeah, for the sake yeah. of this mastermind. No, 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 just real right. quick. And again, it's just to connect people to who's in this group. Uh, right. For those who don't know Mariko Tippett, if you have no idea how to look at your numbers and figure out what Warren Buffett does, Mariko Tippett has a master's in finance. He is literally, a, he's a financial advisor that has enough series. He could be a financial advisor in every state. That's one of our mastermind members. Right. So I'm just highlighting that because he couldn't be on tonight. He loves coming on these things. But in the event that you couldn't look at the numbers, he because he, he loves to teach you how to look at your own numbers, because that's the, most of us don't understand our own numbers, even though we're good at our business, even though we're able to generate a lot of revenue, you don't make your decisions based on the profit P&L schedule. Most business owners don't know how to do that. He passionately yeah. loves teaching owners how to do that. But if you wanted to go on, I looked it up, uh, William, it's yeah. bizbysell.com. Bizbysell.com. Look at those numbers because you don't know how to do that. Mariko can show you how to do that. He's Listen. in our mastermind. Just wanted to Listen. highlight that. Listen, they got laundry businesses. What's great about laundry businesses, right? Cash flow, right? Low, 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 low labor costs, right? Equipment, utilities is a little high, but do the numbers. Understand, just look and see what's available and what you fit into and what you... Or uh, what you qualify for in terms of seller finance. I'm not, you don't have to buy the whole thing. That's the thing that people want Seller finance is the real deal thing. And all it requires is good credit 
and, and, and a certain amount of cash flow. Speaking of credit, Lisa <laughs> Dudley is on this thing. If your business credit, you know it ain't where it is supposed to be. You ain't got your Duns and Bradley number. You kind of just doing your thing and self-financing your own business, which is cool. But when Terry mentioned earlier, your business don't look right on paper, then you paid Lisa every penny that she asked for. Because again, Terry talked about it. You, you don't even go to the business matter experts or you try to cut the price on them because you got the Denali when you really should be paying Terry every penny he asked for, which is what Kimberly does with Terry and every penny that Lisa asked for. Because out of, out of passion for our community, Lisa got in the business credit space, knows what the hell she's doing, learned from one of the best in the country. I don't know his name. She can share it if she wants. But she learned from one of the best in the country on how to do this. And kind of trying to look out for our people. She had an offering. People wasn't taking her up on it. Now she charges what she's worth. And she actually takes people who are going to act and get their business in a place to do exactly what William's saying. Um, Lisa, jump in real quick because we only got five minutes. I'm going to cut it off at 930 like I always do. So get, get, jump in here real quick, Queen. Hi, guys. Hey, family. You guys, this is great information. I'm just a student. I love being a student, even though I may think I know some things. This is some great stuff. So I'm just here to listen. And you guys are doing your thing. Keep it moving <laughs> and grooving. So I love it. I'm just a student. I'm not here to sell any of my services tonight. I'm just here to listen and learn and take notes. Well, like I said, again, the mastermind is for y'all to figure out who's in the group yeah. and make, you know, and for y'all that got, you know, we already talked about this in the beginning, but some of y'all haven't been on a lot of them. But at the end of the day, um, mostly I have the relationship to where y'all know these people are vetted. Like right. that's where I think it's the starting space, but then y'all figure it out within these discussions on your own. Cause a lot of y'all have already worked together. Um, Justin, I think that's you calling in. I don't know if you can come off mute if that's you that called in. I'm pretty sure that's you. Um, but let if me, you, oh, go ahead, William. Be up, let, me bring, let me bring my point home. Yeah, yeah, I just want to bring please my, do that. I just want to please do that. William, please, please do that. Like the point you made with Lisa, Terry, it's a, we're all, we're all cogs in the wheel, right? So it's part of the full ecosystem. And what the system is very good at doing to us, like uh, my man said before, I forget his name. Got Terry, 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 Terry. Like he said before, the, the system does a very good job. Of oh, Emil, those, Emil said that. I'm Emil, sorry. yeah. The system does a very good job of keeping those cogs divided so it doesn't become the full ecosystem that understands the power when it is a full ecosystem. So what I'm talking about right now where you can take your short game, you can take your 30,000, 20,000, your 10,000. That's okay. Let's start there. Let's not, we're talking about scale, but let's not get too big. Let's start there. And then strategically, let's start looking for the opportunity with that 10, 20,000 by going on these websites and seeing what's available and understanding how to acquire businesses that are already doing what we don't have to spend money to do. There are people out there desperate to sell those things to us. And so if I was skills, which is the cause in the wheel all together, Right. If we can come together, put those skills together, acquire those businesses and turn those businesses into profitable businesses and we can raise that 20, 30, 40, 50 percent. That is the strategy, black people. That's the strategy. It's easy. And nobody even know we're doing it. Nobody will even know we're doing it because it ain't one of those things. Where if I go acquire a laundry mat right now, nobody knows I own it. Nobody knows I own it. You understand? They don't have to know. What we have to know is how to take what we do, leverage it, and that's the strategy. So let's get let's put that these cogs together, create the full ecosystem, right? Take that small business mindset that we have mastered, right? Because we can generate 10, 20, 30,000 dollars a month. We can do that. 
right? And when we do that, now we go out in the space, in the marketplace, and we look for opportunity that has already been developed for us. Just people, people are willing to get selling it. Justin, uh, one thought. Is that you, Justin? I'm assuming on the dial-in. Yeah, just, Justin is on here. Yeah, yes, sir. So Justin does all of this stuff that William just talked about. Uh, we only got two minutes, brother, so I don't want you to go too long, but I know you, he's an um, accountant by trade, but owns businesses, um, um, looking to retire before 40. I think that's still the plan. He's been doing <laughs> a lot of what William's talked about, so um, he's been doing it. Um, and, and I love this brother. So if you, we got one minute, brother, if you could just say something about uh, reinforcing what William's sharing because you've been doing it. Okay, well, I wanna say this, William, I appreciate all the um, information you shared with us and I agree with it full uh, wholeheartedly. But as far as, um, there is no but. With acquiring businesses and you're making 10, 20, 30,000 a month, start small. Everybody doesn't have to say, oh, well, I can't, I can't do 10 to 20,000 right now. Find something that you can afford and make it grow to 10, 20, 30,000 a month. Then you take that and yes, buy your laundromat. It, it's a concept I call making money while you sleep. When you can make money while you sleep, that is when you have figured out the game. I, t I, tr I educate young people about this all the time. When you learn to make money while you're sleeping, that's when you have conquered the game. Now, I love it. Um, it's 9.30. Terry, you're the guest. I'm going to get you last thought. Please do the short version because I, I want to always honor hour and a half. I do need to highlight we're going to do the next one in four weeks. It's normally six weeks, but um, I've been fortunate enough. I've been building a relationship with a brother by the name of John Hall. He is a um, – oh, God, it just slipped my mind. He is a um, – Oh God, uh, investor, investor. Uh, he has a um, high end investing. What is a, what is? A, I'm just the name just slipped my mind. He um, he's a he they, um, angel angel investor. No, no. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he has a venture, company. Uh, venture um, capitalist. Yeah, venture capitalist. That's the word I was looking for. So in four weeks, um, because I, I called some of y'all to ask, do y'all want to talk to a venture capitalist? Because I didn't know what y'all would ask. So again, all of y'all are further in business than I am, and and a lot of y'all said a few of the people I talked to said yes. <laughs> We want to know, we want to know we, how we can set up our businesses in order to warrant somebody like him. I'll just tell you, he, that's, he has a venture capitalist company, but he also works in banking, and he only works with the 1% of the 1%. So that's what he does for a living. So it's going to be a great, interesting conversation in four weeks. Terry, last comment, and we out this thing. Thank you, Brother Pianca, um, Brother Pianca for being with us this evening. I think everything's been said, brother. At the end of the day, we just got to start building our companies for shareholder equity and not just shareholder income. And uh, when it comes to assets that are being passed down to us, even if they're in communities that we don't want to reside in, we can't pull out. You know, we have to keep that vested interest, make sure that we're sustaining those assets, that we're growing those assets and that we're poised to, you know, capitalize when the redevelopment comes because it's coming, you know, because everything happens in cycles. I think someone said this earlier, everything happens in cycles. All right, June 26th, go ahead and put it on your calendar. I'll be following up with y'all about a week and a half out to see if y'all want to get on with John Hall. Um, again, invite only. I don't allow more than 13 on here, so we had a slot, few slots tonight, but I already know some people want to be on that one, so let me know. You know, I'm giving y'all the opportunity to put it on your calendar versus waiting for me to let 
ask y'all in a couple of weeks. All right, y'all, we gone. Thank y'all. Excellent mastermind. I'll see y'all hopefully in four weeks. See y'all. Have fun. Thanks. Thanks, Montoya. Appreciate it, brother. All right, for sure. Thank you for doing conducting this one.